All right, everybody, if uh, you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 8 today. I'd like to do a little bit of an overview before we dig in. And before I even do that, would you please join with me in prayer? Father, we love you, and I thank you for the sweet time of worship that we have already enjoyed. Thank you, God, that you are enthroned upon the praises of your people. There's no greater place for you to be, nowhere that we would rather you be than enthroned, God. And enthroned in our hearts and our lives, you are the King. You are the Lord. And we worship you in this place. We love you, God. We've come here to, to seek you, knowing and trusting that as we draw near to you, God, you will draw near to us. We praise you, Lord. What a wonderful promise and a blessing that is. So now as we get into Romans, Father, I pray that you would speak to us by your word, that your Holy Spirit would move mightily in this room, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would remove distractions, God, and that you would meet us here, Lord, and speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so Romans, as I mentioned last week, super excited to be here. This is a a phenomenal book. I mean, every book of the Bible is so special in its own way, but there's something very wonderful and unique about the book of Romans. And so, excuse me, sorry. Thrilled to be here. And so I wanted to just do a little bit of an outline for you guys to kind of help break down the book and where we're at as we travel through it. So as I mentioned last week, the key theme of this book is is the righteousness of God. And I would add to that the, um, that the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God and justification by faith. Those are two things that you will see repeatedly throughout this book. One, God is righteous, that He is right, that He is good, but that He also imparts that righteousness to us. That if there's anything good in us, it's God. It's God that has imparted that to us. And that we receive God's righteousness by faith. It's not anything that we can do. It's nothing that we can earn. It's simply God's gift when we put our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So God is righteous and He makes us righteous by faith. This book could be outlined in basically seven different sections, which right now we're in the first section and we'll be finishing that up today. And that is simply the introduction. The introduction to the book and essentially the theme of the book, I think, comes out, very, uh, it comes out strongly in verses 16 and 17. And that is, and we're going to be looking at that today, but I'll just go ahead and read those verses to you now. It is, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And I would say that's the, the theme of the book, and Paul starts there. And so next, the next section that we'll be getting into next week is condemnation. That we are all guilty. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what good things you have done. We're all on a level playing field before God. We are all guilty. And that's bad news. Bad news. And Paul spends a couple of chapters really driving that home. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that over the next couple of weeks. At least I am. You guys might not, but uh, you know, I'm just I'm going there. I haven't really, you know, I was thinking about it, man. I haven't really preached a lot of uh, 
you know, judgment and hellfire and all that, you know, and I'm, I'm a southerner. I'm a southern preacher. That ain't right. We're all about preaching hellfire. So anyways, it's coming. Buckle up. And then after that, the good news, justification. We are made right. We are justified. It's a legal term. It means to be declared innocent. And we like to use that little term, just as if I had never sinned. Justified. And then from there, we get into chapters 6, 7, and 8, and we talk about sanctification. We are saved. We are justified. But we are on a journey here on this, this earth, and we're growing in godliness. We're growing in Christ-likeness. And that is sanctification. Paul deals with that. And in chapters 9, 10, and 11... That's some very difficult scripture there. I'm glad we got a little while before we get to that. But it, it uh, I would say in a nutshell, it deals with the rejection of Israel, Israel having rejected their Messiah and being excluded from the promises of God for a time, but then eventually even they will be restored. And so Paul spends a little bit of time there. And then he goes into application. Chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15 deal with how then we shall live. And that is so typical for Paul's writing. He always starts with God. Who God is, what God has done, and then that naturally flows into how then should we live our lives. How we live our lives flows out of who God is and what He has done. It's always that way. And so right thinking leads to right living. Right? And so then he closes with his conclusion, chapters 15 and 16, his farewell to all the Christians in Rome. And so it's just such a, a sweet book. And as I said, today we are still in the introduction of that book. So last week we talked about Paul's gospel greetings to the church there, to the Christians in Rome. In the first seven verses I said he spoke, spoke of gospel identity, who Paul was in Christ. That was a gospel benefit. Because of the gospel, Paul was different. He was a bondservant of Christ. He was called to be an apostle. And then we talked about God's promise. And that was the gospel. God had promised it from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3 all the way throughout the Bible. And that was God's gift. We talked about how God's promise to us, the gospel, was ultimately God's gift. What a wonderful gift. What a treasure the gospel is. And God promised it. God made good on it. And then we are God's called. If you put your trust in Christ... If you have believed upon Him for salvation, you are a recipient of that good news. You have been changed. You are called. God's called. And this week, we're going to move on a little farther and we're going to talk about Paul's care for those Christians there in Rome. And that's what we're going to really see come out in verses 8 to 17. We're going to see Pastor Paul as he is expressing his love for the Christians there, his desire to be with them. And as I've said before, and I will say it again, this is a gospel-centric passage. He uses the word gospel, I think, at least five, maybe six times in these first 17 verses. And that is what he is all about, and that's what this book is all about. It is a gospel masterpiece. And we love the gospel. We are a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church because we have been saved. We've been saved from our sins, saved from God's wrath, saved from an eternity of separation from God in hell, and we have been redeemed, and now we have a future and a hope. We have a promise in Him that we will be with God forever, and we have a relationship with Him here and now, and that is because of the Gospel. That is because of the Gospel. It never gets old. As I've said before, the Gospel is not just for beginners. It's for every Christian at every season. And I hope today to draw some of that out and kind of help help us see some of the gospel benefits, some of the wonderful blessings that are ours in Christ 
because of the gospel. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, with that, let's dig in. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So first things first, Paul is expressing his gratitude to God for the Roman Christians there. He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you all. And I think that we could just stop and camp out right there. Gratitude. Thanksgiving. You know, that means a lot to God. God appreciates gratitude when we stop and honor Him and recognize Him as the giver of all good gifts, but He's the greatest gift, is He not? And so oftentimes we get so caught up with the things that we don't have, we don't even stop to thank God for the things that we do have. Furthermore, we don't even stop to thank Him for being the greatest gift of all. And so Paul says, I thank God when I mention you in my prayers because Paul recognized that their faith The world-renowned faith of the Roman Christians there was all because of God. God did that. God deserves the glory. If there is anything good in me, if there is anything good in you, if there is anything good that we enjoy in this life, God did that. God did that. And we need to give Him the thanks. We need to give Him the praise that He alone is worthy of. And we're going to be talking more about that in the coming weeks. Because that was the very thing that uh, pagan idolaters, that's what Paul's going to start by addressing in the next text, they don't give God the glory. Instead, they create all of these other gods of their own imagination and worship them instead. And so God, God is jealous for His glory. God desires that we honor Him first and foremost. I think it's interesting here, and it's worth noting that God, uh, Paul thanked God through Jesus Christ. Do you see that? you see that in, in verse 8? I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And so Paul's access to the Father came through Christ, and Jesus said that was the case. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, through me. And that is because of the Gospel, guys. We have acceptance before God. We have entrance into God's presence, the veil was torn because of the Gospel. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that he could come to the Father and he could honor and thank Him and praise Him for what God was doing in Rome. And he did that through Christ Jesus. Praise Jesus that through Him we have access to the Father. Do you ever stop and just thank Him in your prayers? Sometimes it's good to stop in your prayers and just thank Jesus that because of Him, because of what He has done, for me and for you, we can come to the Father. The veil was torn, as it were. And when I, I reference the veil, it's kind of an Old Testament reference there. There was the temple, and there were certain courts that became much more exclusive as you went. And when you came to the place where God's presence would, would come once a year, none of the common people could go there. Only one priest, the high priest, could go in on that day. But when Jesus died on the cross and everything went black and the earth shook. It says the, the, the veil tore in that moment. It was torn. And so that is to say that we now have access into God's presence. And that was accomplished for us because of Jesus. And so Paul said, I thank God through Jesus my Lord. Well, moving on, we're going to see that Paul prayed for the church. An expression of his love for them was prayer. Verse 9, For God is my witness, 
whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making a request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So Paul prayed for the Roman Christians there. But before we even get to that, I want to draw your attention to verse 9. He says, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. Paul served God. It would be very easy to just pass over that. And maybe, maybe we do pass over that. But that is very significant. And we need to take a moment and camp out on this, guys, because this is an important lesson for us all. We need to remember when we serve, who we're serving. We need to think very carefully about why we're serving. Because I think sometimes we can easily forget that. And that is a a dangerous thing. And I'll talk more about that in a second. But first I want to say, are you serving? You know, Paul was a servant of the Lord. If you are a Christian, if you feel like this is your home, this church, and I hope that you do, I would love to see you serving Jesus in this context. That would be my my heart's desire for you. And if you are serving the Lord, remember that that's who you're serving. You're serving God. You're serving Christ Jesus. It's real easy for us sometimes to feel like maybe we're not getting the recognition that we deserve. Or maybe we're being overlooked somehow. Or maybe we're not getting enough thanks for things that we've done. Any kind of thinking like that can easily creep in. And we have to remember, guys, that we're serving the Lord. Our reward comes from Him, ultimately. And Jesus even spoke to that. He said, if you're doing what you're doing to be seen by men, what did He say? He said, you have your reward already. That is your reward. And so, we don't want that. We're serving the Lord Jesus because of who He is, because of what He has done, and we're doing it for His pleasure, for His glory, and for the benefit of His body. That is number one, right? And so we have to remember who we're serving and why we're serving. And furthermore, let me say, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. It's a privilege and it's an honor. And I have to say that I fear that in the past maybe I have uh, pled with people to serve. I will be pleading with them. We know we have a need in the children's ministry or we need someone to, to do Uh, cleaning in the bathrooms and you know um, it's just not good to do that you know I was thinking about this um, my my daughters I have two small daughters and I do my best not to think about when they are grown and and uh, moving on in life but you know when the day comes if there is a a gentle a gentleman caller that that is asking for my daughter's hand do you think I'm going to beg that guy You think I'm going to try to sell my daughter to him and explain why she's such a good catch? No way am I going to do that. He better bring his A game. This guy better bring everything that he's got. And so I don't know why we do that with Jesus. When we're trying to share the Lord with people, we're trying to explain to everybody, oh, there's so many good reasons why you should come to Jesus. And then they just sit back and think about it. You know, that's not a good thing to do. And I would say serving is the same. It's an honor, it's a privilege to serve the Lord of glory and to serve His church. And it's not something that I want to ever be caught pleading with somebody to do. And so it's my desire. I think that you're missing out on a big part of the Christian life if you're not in, in His service, serving His body. 
But I certainly wouldn't want to uh, be caught pleading with people to do something that ultimately is an honor and a privilege to do. We get to serve the Lord. That was such an amazing thing to me when, when I learned of this. And I, I just wanted to serve Him however I could. And so I showed up at the church and uh, I asked and the, the pastor said, okay, i got a job for you. Meet me here on this day. So I did. And the church was closing. He was locking up. He said, here's a broom. Sweep all the cigarette butts and trash out of the parking lot. You know? And that was certainly not a glorious thing, right? And I was happy to do it. And I was out there and I don't know. I was a baby Christian. I was just hoping somebody would drive by and see me out there sweeping. And you know, so I, I don't know. I was having to fight that off the whole time. But anyways, I didn't intend to go there. We gotta watch that. Well, I gotta watch our hearts. Watch our hearts when we're serving the Lord. I guess it kind of goes back to that. Remembering who we're serving and why. And Paul said, "I served with my spirit in the gospel of His Son," and that that is to say that he served with his heart. It was genuine. It was sincere worship to the Lord. It wasn't obligatory. It wasn't. I guess I gotta do my duty. And see, that's the thing that that pastors sometimes can struggle with is I have a job to do. I have a responsibility. I have expectations that are placed upon me. And it's very easy for me to forget that I'm serving the Lord. And it's easy for me to fall into this trap of I'm doing my job. I'm doing my duty. And Paul said, look, I serve God in the Gospel. I serve with my spirit. He serves from the heart. It was genuine. It was sincere. And he said, I serve in the gospel of his son. Now that's significant because last week he called the gospel, he called it the gospel of God. And this week he refers to it as the gospel of his son. Sorry. And so that's significant because it is the gospel of his son, because Jesus accomplished the work. It's the gospel of God because it originated from the Father. It was God's plan from the beginning. He had determined that He was going to send His Son to redeem sinful mankind. And in God's right time, He did that. But Jesus accomplished the work. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life that we could not live. That was active obedience. And then He died the death that we deserved. That's referred to as passive obedience. And that He died upon the cross in our place. And then He rose again from the grave three days later, victorious over sin, over death. That is the Gospel message. And it was accomplished in Christ. And so it is truly the Gospel of Jesus that Paul served in with His Spirit. Now Paul goes on to say that he prayed without ceasing. As often as he thought of them, as often as he prayed, he prayed without ceasing. And that doesn't mean that he prayed every waking moment, obviously. And and First uh, Thessalonians uses that same phrase to to pray without ceasing. But that is to be in a regular place of prayer, a regular place of interacting with God, even if it's just in our minds as we're driving, as we're going along, whatever the case may be. But he often prayed for the Roman Christians there. And may I say that's one of the greatest ways that we can serve each other. It should not be a secondary thing. It shouldn't be. This is you often hear it go like this. Well, I guess there's nothing else we can do except pray. And that's, that's not good. That should be the first thing that we do. Well, let's start by praying and see what happens next. And so, that was Paul. And so, it's good for us to be praying for each other. 
If someone asks you how you can pray, how they can pray for you, be honest with them. Give them a legitimate need that you have. Let's be open with each other a little bit, shall we? We're family here, are we not? Amen? Yes or no? We're family? Well, we can be honest with each other and we can ask for prayer. Ask people how you can pray for them. And then do it. And then follow up. And I'll tell you right now, one great way you can pray for, for your pastor here. I'm, I'm going back to school in a couple of weeks and I'm taking church history. It's something that I love dearly and I've studied a lot. And so I'm excited to do this. But obviously I'm a little scared. I've got a lot on my plate. So pray for your pastor that I would benefit from this and that I would do well. And you guys will be blessed in turn. I hope you like history because you're going to be getting more in the coming months. And so uh, that's, that's one way that you could pray for me. And Paul prayed for the church. We ought to be a church that prays for each other. All right, well, moving on, verse 11. Paul had a very generous heart toward the church. He says in verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. So Paul's desire was to bless the Roman Christians. That was his heart. He wants to come to them. He wants to see them. He wants to impart to them some spiritual gift that they would be further strengthened, that they would be established. And can I just say, the Gospel does that. Paul had a desire to come and serve these people. He came a long way. He went through a lot of difficulties when he finally did get there, but his desire was to come and bless them. And the Gospel does that. That is a Gospel benefit. When you have been touched, when you have been forgiven much, and we all have been forgiven, an immense debt, the desire then becomes to turn and serve other people, to bless other people, just as we have been blessed in Christ. Again, that is a Gospel benefit. God has been so generous to us, we then desire to become generous to other people. It just flows out of that. And Paul said that was his desire. He wanted to come and impart some spiritual gift to them. Now, that word spiritual gift, it's used a few different ways in Romans. One, it speaks of Christ Himself. Two, it speaks of general blessings. And three, it speaks of spiritual gifts. And so, probably Paul had all three in mind. But his desire was to build up the church. And that's what a healthy church does. We're very concerned about helping and blessing and caring for each other. And the body builds itself up. You know? And so that was uh, Paul's desire. And that was his heart. And I believe, again, as I said, that that's all part of the Gospel. And so are you doing that? Are we doing that? You know, Christ has done that for us. Are we busy blessing other people? Because we live in a culture and we live in a day and an age where we can be so consumed with caring for ourselves. Looking out for number one. And we're not to be about that. If we're in the church here, we're to be looking out for the interest of others. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says that. Don't look out to your own interest, but to the interest of other people. Are you doing that, church? Are you? And then Paul went on to give Jesus as the ultimate example of the one who did not cling to glory in heaven, but He emptied Himself. He left that, He set it aside, and He came to earth. And he took the form of a slave. And He lived a life of obedience. And He died the most horrific death imaginable for us. He served us in that way. Because He was looking out for our interests. So are we looking out for the interest of others? That is Christ-likeness. And the Gospel does that. 
Well, verse 12, Paul desired fellowship with the church. So verse 12, he says, That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith of you and me. So Paul desired to come, he desired to bless, but he also desired to be encouraged. And that's what it's all about. Fellowship. It's a word that we use a lot. I don't know that I ever heard that word until I became a Christian. I think, you know, obviously, I don't know much about the Lord of the Rings, but I, I guess that probably made that popular somewhat. And that word anyways. But fellowship is one of the greatest gifts that God has given the church. And that is each other. That we can come together in the name of Jesus and love each other. That we can serve each other. That we can minister to each other on Christ's behalf. That is true Christian family. Community. Fellowship. And Paul desired that. Paul wanted to come and bless the people there in Rome, but he desired to spend time with them and to be mutually encouraged by the Christians. Are we encouraged by each other? Do we encourage one another? Do we show up for church on Sunday morning for an hour and a half never to see our Christian brothers and sisters again for the rest of the week until the next week? And then if you show up to church maybe every other week or say once a month, that is, is, that's all that you see your brothers and sisters in a month. I mean, that's, that's not good. Paul greatly desired to be encouraged because the great Apostle Paul believed that he could benefit from these Christians all the way over here in Rome. Paul knew that he could benefit from fellowship and company with these other believers. And he so desired that. And you know, it's really cool. We had a, a, a friend from Monterey, uh, this ministry that we're, we're looking to start here soon in Napa, the Bridge uh, Restoration Ministry. There's a, a group in Monterey that we're looking to, to model. And so I've, I've uh, developed a friendship with one of the leaders in that program. And he's a, he's a young guy, young Christian. And he came to Christ in that program. And so he recently graduated and he came out here and stayed a couple days with us. And he was immensely blessed by his interaction with, with the people here in this church and, and friends and, and Christian family here. And when he left, he said, you know, he had been in a Jesus bubble for a whole year over in this one place. This is when you're just surrounded by, by nothing but Christians all the time in the church. We call that a Jesus bubble, right? And he left that bubble and he came over to our bubble. And he said, it is amazing to be with like-minded people over here. You know? And it was like he left there and came here and he's, it's like he left family and came to family and never, never missed a beat. We had such a wonderful time together. We were both so encouraged by each other's company over the weekend. He was so blessed by interacting with you guys here at the church. And that was a new thing for him. And that is the case for Christians when we go anywhere in the world. If you go on missions trips, short term, long term, you go there to be a blessing. You go there to serve people what you don't often anticipate. It's just how encouraged you get when you meet with other Christians all the way around the world, oftentimes you can't even speak the same language, yet that love, that, that intimacy there, it's just there, and it's Christ. We have that because of Jesus, because we are born of the Spirit, because we are washed by the same blood, amen, and because we are brothers and sisters in Him. And so Paul desired that. Now verse 13, says, Now I... Uh, do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, 
But I was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the Gentiles. So Paul had greatly desired for some time to make it to Rome, and he had been hindered. And we know that, that you know, his ministry was one of great difficulty, and he went where the Lord led him, and oftentimes the Lord would close doors and open others. But he said, it's been the desire of my heart to come to you and to be with you, but I've been hindered until now. And he prayed that God would make a way for him to come and to have fruit among them, is the phrase that he uses. And that most likely is to say that there's a harvest happening here. People are coming to Christ in Rome. I want to be a part of that. I want to be where the Lord is moving. I want to come to Rome and I want to be able to lead people to Christ there just like I have been doing everywhere else I've been going among the Gentiles. And so Paul said that he desired to be there, but he had been hindered. Paul had plans, but God had other plans. Well, verse 14, he says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. Now, I love this. Paul saw himself as indebted to everyone. Paul was in debt. He had a debt of love that he owed. You know, there's basically two kinds of debt. There is someone loans you money and now you have to pay it back. You're indebted to that person. Or someone gives you something that you're supposed to give to somebody else. Now you have received this gift and you're under the person's, you're indebted to the person to whom this gift is supposed to go. Well, that's essentially what it is with the gospel. When we have received this gift from God, we are indebted to everyone to give it away and to pass it on to the next person. And Paul said, I have received the gospel and I am indebted to everyone, Jews and Greeks. And so this is basically the, the, the religious Jews of that day and everyone else. And he says to the, the Greeks and the barbarians, and he says both to the wise and to the unwise. And so when he's, he's making this distinction between the Greeks and the barbarians here, I talked about this already, but that barbarians, uh, barbaros is, is the Greek word, and that was anyone who was not a Greek speaker. And so it was, um, it was a, a mockery term, basically. And so the Greeks, they loved their language and they saw it as the language of the sophisticated and anyone who didn't speak that language might as well have been a barbar. That's what it sounded like to them. Bar, 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 right? And so hence the term barbarian. And so Paul says whether you're sophisticated, whether you're ignorant, whether you are the high class, the low class, whether you are Greek, whether you're a barbarian, it does not matter. I'm indebted to you. I'm indebted to preach the gospel to you. You know why? Because God is not partial. God is not partial. Did you know that? I think we, we, we know that. Because as I said earlier, God doesn't look at any one person or any group of people and say, man, now they've got it going on. Those people over there, they don't deserve my grace, but man, these people sure do. God doesn't, everyone stands condemned before God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. So we are on a level playing field there, and God in His infinite grace and mercy has sent the gospel out to all, to Greek, to barbarian, to wise, to unwise. It does not matter because God is not partial and He has sent the Gospel out. The Gospel is not partial. Whosoever will, whosoever will believe, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever will believe 
shall not be uh, shall not perish. Shall have everlasting life. And so Paul said, "I'm ready to come. I am ready to preach." He was very passionate about this. Verse 15, he says, "So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also." So Paul was passionate about his calling in life. Paul was ready. He said, as much as is in me, I can't wait to get there and to preach the gospel to you in Rome. You know, I think about this passion. I think a life that has been touched by the gospel is a passionate life. You know, I think about my life before Christ and the things that I lived for. And, you know, I I often use this phrase, you know, you come to a place where you think there's got to be more to living than dying. There has to be more than just surviving, right? Just struggling your way through. And Paul had something awesome to live for, something awesome to give his life to and for. And when I came to Christ, I remember coming to that place thinking, you mean I can serve the Lord? You mean that you know, there's so much of my life, I can't take back so much of the things that I have done that I regret now. I can't change that. But I can move forward in Jesus' name and I can serve people I can love people. I can try to encourage and lead people in the right way. I mean, I can do that. And that became the new passion of my life. And the Bible talks about that. You know, it's not enough to just stop doing what you used to do. And the world will tell you that. You know, especially with like alcoholism and and things like that. The whole idea is just sobriety. Just stop drinking. Stop using. And that's a miserable way of living. You have to be changed from the inside out and you have to replace what you used to live for for something new. You've got to put off the old man and put on the new man which was created in Christ Jesus and you have a new heart. You have a new passion. You have new direction in life. You have something to, new to live for and to be passionate about. Do you have that? Do you have that? Do you have a vision for your life? Has God shown you what are your giftings? God has made you unique. You are uniquely able, wired, gifted, empowered to serve and to bless and to be used by Him. Are you in the game? Are you passionate? Can you say as much as is in me, I am ready to fill in the blank? Can you? Well, moving on, Paul is going to express his confidence in the very thing that he desires to bring to them. So verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So Paul says, I'm coming with the gospel of Christ and I am not ashamed. It's interesting, the word here for ashamed, it's dishonor in the Greek. um, It refers to being disgraced or bringing on shame that matches the error of wrongly identifying with something. So the idea is there, you've been deceived. You've been duped. You bought the lie, and then you've been found out, and you're embarrassed about it. You ever been in that, in that place? And it's, you're humiliated. It's embarrassing. I got suckered. I got conned. I got deceived. And Paul said, that is not the case with me. I am not ashamed of the Gospel I have not been deceived. Now, Paul had been mocked, beaten, shipwrecked, rejected, abandoned over and over, and still, he said, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the Gospel. He said, it is the power. It is the power of God to salvation. 
Paul knew that the message that he had to bring to them was the only hope, the only hope for sinful men and women. And he was not ashamed of that message. He had given his life for that message. So many times he came to the point of death for that message and eventually would die, as history has it, that he was beheaded. Uh, Christian persecution there in Rome. And so he gave his life for the Gospel. He loved the Gospel. He was not ashamed of the Gospel. He knew that it was the only hope for sinful men and women, as I said. And then he says, not just for the, the Jew, but also the Greek. That is, everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your social status. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your gender. It does, that does not matter. God transcends all of that with the gift of the Gospel. It is the only hope. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of it. I love it. I give my life for it. And then he goes on in verse 17 to say, because or for in it, that is the Gospel, in the Gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So because of the Gospel, so much of God is revealed to us. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. You know, we look around at creation, and we're going to talk a lot more about this in the coming weeks. We look around at creation, and that ought to, to point us to the Creator. God has revealed Himself in a very general way through creation, and we call that general revelation. God is putting His law on our hearts. We know the difference between right and wrong. And I talked about that before. And how, how is that? If we have just come, if we have evolved from some primordial ooze billions of years ago, then what is that in us that says that is not right? That was not just. Justice must be served. Says who? If it's the, the stronger eats the weaker, if it's the survival of the fittest, then who are you to tell me something's right or wrong? Unless a transcendent lawgiver has placed that on our hearts and written that code into who we are. And the Bible says that eternity is in the heart of man. You know what? We know there's more than this here. I just don't believe that there's a such thing as a true atheist. They know deep down inside. Now, they may suppress that. And, and Paul talks about that. They may push that down. But you've heard the saying, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. When the heat gets turned up bad enough, people start crying out quick. And so... God has given us a general revelation of Himself, but because of the Gospel, God has given us special revelation of Himself. God has revealed so much to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. But God has shown us that He is a God who holds us accountable. He is a God of justice. He is a God of righteousness. And He will judge every wicked deed that has been done. And He is a just judge who cannot pardon sin on any level, small or great. But God is also merciful. And God is gracious. And God has demonstrated that at the cross. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So this righteous judge who will hold sin into account has made a way for that sin to be paid for on the cross of His Son so that if we put our trust in Him for salvation, we will be welcomed in as beloved children to the Most High God. That is the Gospel. And so much more of God is revealed to us through the Gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And that's what it's all about, guys. Faith. 
And that's what it's always been about. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here. He's quote, uh, quoting Habakkuk 2.4, I believe it is, where he says, the just shall live by faith. Even in the Old Testament, that was the deal. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him what? Righteousness. Abraham was justified because he believed the promises of God. He took God at His Word. And so it was always faith. And it is faith to this day. And the just shall live by faith. So put your trust in Him and live. Put your trust in Christ and live. Have faith in the finished work of Jesus in the gift that the Almighty has given us in His Son. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to uh, transition at this point over into communion. And there's no better way, no better way to, to come before the Lord's table uh, than off the back end of, of the glorious Gospel. And what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, what, what Jesus did upon the cross, and what the, the elements that we're about to partake of represent, that is the Gospel. You know, Jesus, the night before He was, he was crucified, He was sitting at the table with His disciples. They were celebrating the, the Passover meal. And that was a, a tradition for the Jews. Every year they would come together and they would partake of this meal and they would remember God's deliverance back in Exodus where they would take and they would kill this lamb and they would take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and that family would be saved from God's wrath there in Egypt when God's death angel passed over that house. And so they were looking back to that. They were remembering that. But Jesus said, look, now I have come and this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. My body, which is broken for you, take, eat. He said, this bread here, that's what this represents. My broken body, which was broken for you, take and eat. And the cup that they would drink there, He said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of Me. This is My blood which was poured out for you. And so Paul takes up that same uh, idea in 1 Corinthians and he quotes that and he says, as often as we do that, as often as we, we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. And that is to say that we are reminding ourselves and each other afresh of the Gospel of what Christ has done on our behalf, that He was the sin-bearer of the world and that His body was broken, that the punishment that saved us all was placed upon Him. And so every time that we come together as a body of believers and we partake of communion together, we are reminding ourselves afresh of the glories of Calvary, of the greatest sacrifice that was given on our behalf. And Paul says that we ought to examine ourselves. We don't come to the table cavalier, as it were, brazenly. This is serious. It's something that we take very seriously. And we worship the Lord as we partake of these elements. This is for believers. If you haven't put your trust in Christ Jesus as your Savior, I would encourage you not to partake of this. This is a gift from God to His church. But you can, you can put your trust in Christ today. You can be forgiven. You can experience the gift of communion and this, this celebration that we have together as believers. And we're to examine ourselves as Christians. We're to consider, what, how, how are we doing? How are you doing before the Lord? Is there something in your life that needs to go? Is there some sin in your life that is hindering your relationship with the Lord that would grieve the heart of God? 
confess that. Repent of it. There's no better time to do that than here at the Lord's table. So with that, the band is going to come back up and they're going to play a song. Once they get going and the music is going here, we're going to encourage everybody to come up and to, to get their elements and then you can return back to your seats. And after that, play that song, I'll come up and, um, and we'll partake together. Does that sound good? So I just want to encourage you guys, worship the Lord, praise Him, search your hearts, ask God to search your hearts and to reveal to you those things which you can confess and give to Him here and now in this place. And if you don't know Him, now's the time. Confess His name. Put your trust in Him for salvation. Let me pray. Father, we love You. We bless Your holy name. We praise You because You alone are worthy of our praise. We're not even worthy to ascribe worth. But God, You have invited us into Your presence and we praise You. I thank You for this time of uh, communion. I pray that You would bless it. I pray, Father, that You would receive our worship, that You would receive our repentance, O God, and that You would fill our hearts with joy, with gladness, with love, with peace. In Jesus' name, Amen.